Hello, and welcome again to Grasping Scripture. I am glad that you could join us as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Today, we're going to be in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. And as I've said before, if you're just joining us for the first time, I encourage you back up and start with chapter one of the book of Revelation and follow the study from that point. Um, we've, we've already traveled through seven chapters together covered a lot of background and context that you will need and that I will refer to but not always explain as we move forward from this point. So just so that you're more adequately prepared and have a better understanding, I would encourage you back up and, and start at the beginning of the book. But in any case, it is great to have you joining us, whether you're new or joining us back again as we seek to understand God's word, to truly, well, as our name suggests, grasp scripture, to take hold of what God is speaking to us through his word, what it meant to those it was originally delivered to, what it still means to us today as we seek to follow Christ with our lives. So again, welcome. It is great to have you as part of this study, and I look forward to traveling on through the text together. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as, as we turn our hearts and our attention to your word, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, that as we study this text, that it not be something entirely mysterious, something that just totally escapes us, but Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in your word, that you would show us the messages that you have for us, the, the callings that you have placed on our lives, the encouragements that you have, have placed there, and the warnings that you have placed there, that we might heed your word, that we might be convicted of our sin, that we might repent of it, and follow you in greater obedience. And Lord, of course, most of all, we thank you for your word in the flesh. We thank you for Jesus the Christ and the salvation that he brings, that as much as we read in this text about calamity and judgment, we know that as we stand before you, we have been declared righteous through the blood of Christ. We thank you for that awesome gift. Now help us to hear your voice as we study your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have hit one of those big transition points in the book of Revelation. We have been going through uh, so far, we've covered the letters to the seven churches, and then we transitioned into that, that drama in the throne room of God there in heaven, the, the heavenly tabernacle, if you will. And we've gone through the seven seals. And as we've gotten to the seventh seal, and we see that being opened at this point, which we're about to cover, uh, out of the seventh seal come seven trumpets. And as we kind of laid things out moving into this, if you recall back there, ways, this almost seems like nesting dolls. Within this grouping, there's this grouping. And within this grouping, there's this other group. They just kind of fit inside of each other. And it could be that this is a literal sequence of events. That's one way to understand it, that it's speaking of past events, present events, or future events, or some of each. Another way to note, to understand it could be that 
the three sections, the, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are all retelling of the same event, the same judgment of God being passed on the earth and, and creation coming to its culmination. Um, I go with the second option but you don't have to, but understand the way I'm, I'm teaching through this kind of views it that way. So as we begin to look at the seven trumpets, um, I find it easier to understand them as a, another retelling of the same events we've covered in the seven seals. Now, if you recall with the seven seals, as we're looking at chapter six and seven, it was laid out with the four horsemen. Uh, we saw that as a heavy motif, and then that that great day of the Lord there as well. All of that is building on Zechariah, Isaiah, Joel. I, we see those references and the imagery from the Old Testament brought forward there, and the course of history and the judgment of God all laid out, explained in that fashion. Until um, we get to the answer in seven of who can stand against all this. And we, we see the answer to that in Christ and, and his people, people from every tribe, nation, language, you know, all of that. You can refer back to the last study for more detail on that. Then we get to the trumpets. With the trumpets, we see a different uh, motif, if you will, in the telling of the account. We've switched from the imagery of the four horsemen and prophets to the Exodus imagery. And interestingly enough, what we see rooted in the trumpets is the plagues of Egypt, and the message of the plagues of Egypt, that God has authority and has power over what we in our earthly sense consider gods, the, the false gods of the Egyptians in the Exodus, but the false gods we have set up in our world, uh, whether they be literally false gods, um, made up deities that are worshipped as gods, or whether it is... Um, the things that we have set up as gods, maybe our trust in technology. He says, as he's recording his podcast, or it could be our trust in world financial systems, our trust in political structures, in governments or militaries. I mean, any number of things that we place our faith and trust in instead of God may be gods in our lives that are not the one true God. So uh, this could apply in, in many ways, but what we see evidenced here in these uh, seven trumpet blasts is in large part, the imagery of the plagues on Egypt for the liberation of Israel, God's people being set free from that tyranny of rulers governed by false gods and a clear statement of who the one true God is. So let's dig in as we look at chapter eight and then start unpacking some of this. We're in chapter eight only going to cover, I believe it's, uh, yeah, the first four 
of the trumpets and it gets interesting after that as well uh, but we're going to look at what these four trumpets reference uh, not just historically in the plagues but also the imagery that they present and what that would have covered because there's a there's a nice structure to this and it's not accidental either all right let's dig in together as we look at chapter eight chapter eight starts out this way when the lamb broke the seventh seal now this is right after that that praising of god um, by the saints that have been washed in the blood and that stand clean in their white garments as we round out seven then it moves right into eight when the lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour now we could spend a lot of time there but that silence is a transition point that silence may in a certain sense think seventh seal seventh day of creation may be intended to represent um, how on the seventh the sabbath god rested it may be the idea that there was a rest provided it may be this is a, a transition point a break in the story what does it mean by about a half hour well not real long uh, you may say well is there some you know some standard reference within apocalyptic literature for what a half hour means? no there's not it's not it's not a time period that even in the way that that jews figured numbers and the significance of numbers uh, seems to carry any great weight it's just a, a for a short period of time it's a while but it's not a real long time uh, that's that's about all we can get out and you may go but i want more i want to know what that half hour is does that mean three and a half years does that mean you know what it what does it mean i don't know and for that matter neither do you uh, we know that's what it says that there's this pause and you almost get the sense as you're reading through all this you lose it a little bit covering it chapter by chapter the way we are but if you go back and read six seven eight all together you really get this kind of a inhale hold your breath and wait for it just wait for it and then we get to the rest of it and you, you almost get that sense in the flow of these passages but here we are in eight there's the seventh seal broken and silence falls and there is silence throughout heaven for about a half hour then it picks up again and it's not silent anymore we go from silence to verse two i saw the seven angels who stand before god and they were given seven trumpets then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Now, 
we're going to stop right there. The end of five. That whole section, verses three through five, conveys a very clear message. And it's a message that would have been clear to the readers of that day, the readers of those churches that were being persecuted by the Roman Empire, uh, by Jews, by, by everybody that believed different and didn't acknowledge God. Uh, those, those Christians who were facing death daily for their faith in Christ and for taking that stand. Those Christians who maybe had not, well, at this point, had not been martyred yet, they weren't the ones under the altar, but they were the rest of the believers giving their prayers to God, calling out to God for, you know, when is it time? How long are you going to? And also calling out to God for deliverance, for protection, for strength, for the prayers of God's people are being heard. Here the imagery is those prayers are mixed with the incense that the angel that serves before the throne of God with the incense burners. They're being mixed with the incense and it it is coming before God. He knows those prayers. He hears those prayers. Not only that, he hears those prayers and verse 5 ends with action. Something happens when God hears those prayers. He does not sit there and ignore the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of his people. What greater encouragement? Okay, there is greater encouragement, our eternity with Christ. But what a great encouragement to the believers in their persecution, in their suffering. What great encouragement to stand firm in their faith, to know that their prayers are, are literally the incense burning before the throne of God, that he is constantly aware of them. He knows them. He hears them. We are not alone. We've not been left to fend for ourselves. God isn't looking at us going, yeah, they can just, they can stick it out a little while. They can just endure. That's fine. Whatever. He's not an absent watchmaker, but he is involved in the lives of believers. He hears our prayers. Scripture talks, well, Jesus tells the story about how we in our humanity know how to give good gifts to our children when they ask. And he says, how much more so does your heavenly father respond when we ask. He treats us as dearly loved children coming into his presence, asking for good things. That's powerful. That is hugely powerful. And it's encouraging. And the message of the book of Revelation is a message of encouragement. It's a message of victory to people that their everyday lives, it looked like anything but victory. When John wrote this and it was delivered to the churches of Asia, and it may be in your life and it may be in my life, that as we look around at our world today, as we look at maybe situations that we are facing, we may feel like it's anything but victory. But as we look at God's word and we look at the larger scope of what God is doing and we realize the greater reality that God has already won, that we belong to him, that he hears our prayers, that is encouragement. That is a reminder that in spite of what we see, we know that there is victory.
Again, the message of the book of Revelation is a message of encouragement to believers. Well, let's keep going because that's set the stage. And I said it ends with God's action. Well, how does that verse end? It says that the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar, threw it down upon the earth. The thunder crashed, the lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Now, all three of those images have significance throughout the Old Testament. The the imagery found there, and again, even Exodus imagery, uh, Mount Sinai, the, the thunder, the lightning, the earth shaking, it all has imagery that evokes the Exodus, but it also speaks of, you know, thunder is, is often seen as representing God's power, um, lightning, his glory, his presence, and earthquake was often seen as representing God's judgment. The earth shakes uh, to remind us of his judgment. So we, we see these three symbols carried through the Old Testament, which are very tangible things, but still carried through the Old Testament, representing the presence, the power, and the judgment of God. And that is his response to the prayers being brought before him, mixed with this incense from the altar. Now we get to the real action. We get to verse 6 and the first of the trumpets. Because we may forget, as we read that first part of 8, we start thinking, okay, here's what's going on with the seven trumpets. No, the angels with the seven trumpets are still standing there. This is the other guy. Uh, The other angel comes and does all this and throws down that incense burner of of fire and uh, burning incense down to the earth. That's not part of the seven trumpets. That's the prelude. That's saying God has heard the prayers of the saints. He is now acting in response to those prayers. So let's look at verse six. Verse six picks up this way. It says, then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. Now, all this has been preluded by that silence. And then we see the angel do all this with the incense and throw the fire down. And there's lightning and thunder and earthquake that breaks the silence. Now we move to the trumpet blast. Verse seven, the first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned and all the green grass was burned. Now that is dramatic. That is big. That's one third. Now, before we get hung up on the one third, understand what the one third means is it isn't complete destruction. It's massive destruction but it's not complete. And we also need to look at that, that first trumpet blast, the, the, the blood and the hail of fire. Now we can, in a very rationalistic sense, go, okay, I don't know about the blood, but hail of fire, that could be a meteor shower. That could be, if you get hung up on that, you are missing the point. The point of the book of Revelation is not to find things that can explain what this is, okay? 
and we'll get into that in the next chapter because with the locust i've got some some stuff that's been presented to me over the years of what that means it's kind of out there and we'll have fun with it but don't get hung up on well what is that what is that rain of fire what is that understand this is god's judgment the first trumpet evokes the idea of well of the plagues do you remember that there was a plague of blood what was that the seventh plague um there was the 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 plague of of raining fire um that's it's kind of a big deal and it would definitely in the minds of the believers who either had grown up with the old testament or were learning the old testament they would have made that connection. They were, this sounds kind of Exodus-like. God, in response to the prayers of his people, is taking action, and here's what that action looks like. God, in response to the prayers of his enslaved people, Israel, uh, calls Moses to lead them as a prophet, and when Moses stands before Pharaoh, challenges the false god demanding worship that... God would bring the plagues to show his authority and power over. Yeah, it's not accidental that that imagery is there. So you've got these plagues. And in those plagues, we see this this massive destruction of basically plant life. Now you can think, well, that's going to lead to famine. And that's, yeah, it's bad. Okay. But is a judgment, essentially a judgment towards that part of creation the plants, but it doesn't end there. We move to verse eight and it says the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all the things living in the sea died. One third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Again, one third, a portion, but not all. And we see God's judgment and his power and authority carried out there in that judgment now mountain thrown into the sea mass destruction uh sea life killed shipping destroyed Hmm. this was written in ad 90 ad 90 roughly there was an event An event that took place in the ancient world that everybody was aware of. An event that Pliny the Younger wrote about uh, kind of at length. And in that writing, he made clear what he saw from a distance. He wasn't there. You may have heard of this. There was this mountain in Italy that erupted that wiped out a um, a rather thriving village uh, that affected sea life and shipping and all of these things it happened in AD 79 and it was the eruption of mountains of Vesuvius the destruction of Pompeii here John and and this is vision given by God. It's, it's inspired. It's, 
it would have been something that they would have known the imagery of mountain of fire and this this mass destruction this this death among the the aquatic life um again echoing plagues of egypt but it also would have echoed what they knew of happening just roughly a decade prior to the writing of this text there would have been lots of people refugees people who lost loved ones uh people whose livelihoods had been affected whether it's fishing or shipping or whatever by the eruption of vesuvius that could read this and go oh that's like you know they had a a tangible reference point for that level of destruction but here we've had god's judgment on plant life We've had God's judgment on sea life. He doesn't quit there. He keeps rolling. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star was bitterness or wormwood. Uh, wormwood in the Old Testament and and for the Jews was seen as a, as a bitter root, bitter herb. It um, represented throughout the Old Testament that bitterness would represent God's judgment. And so here, very clearly, God's judgment poured out upon the waters. So then the third angel blew his trumpet. A great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on all the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness, or wormwood. Uh, It made one-third of the waters bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Hmm. Yeah. So we see that judgment not just on uh, plant life, not just on sea life we see it on the waters and playing over into the people as well and again massive one-third but not complete then we get to verse 12 and in verse 12 we have the fourth trumpet it says the fourth angel blew his trumpet and one-third of the sun was struck and one-third of the moon and one-third of the stars and they became dark and one third of the day was dark and also one third of the night the plague of darkness we see that in the plagues of egypt don't we uh we see the plague of hail hail, we see the plague of blood we see the plague of poisonous water we see the plague of darkness all of these are plagues of exodus referenced here with the four trumpets but as we look at this and we get the idea of this darkness falling all the things that are listed there that harkens back to genesis it it echoes the creation in genesis chapter one the sun the moon the stars there was day and there was night the judgment goes back to the very core of creation And again, it affected one-third. What, does that mean the sun's one-third less? We don't need as strong an SPS? What what, what does it mean, SPF? Um, No, not literally. That one-third is, it is massive, but not complete. It's not over. It's not fulfilled 
fulfilled its partial uh, this this judgment that's being poured out. So these are huge things that are happening with these trumpet blasts. And you may think one third that's not that huge. I you know I'm not sure that that's an issue. Well, look at it in this terms. We have picked up in our modern vernacular, and it's come a couple thousand years after Rome, fifteen hundred years after Rome. We like to use the word decimate. Oh, that, you know, that hurricane hit Louisiana and it decimated that town. No, it didn't. It actually did worse than decimate. The Romans would decimate. They would conquer a people and if a town was in rebellion, they would go in and they would put that down. And the way they exerted their control and showed their influence is they would decimate the town. They would bring everyone out. They'd start marching down the row. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Number 10 gets killed. One, two, three, four, five, six, number 10 gets killed. That's it. 10. It's one-tenth is eliminated. So that's 90% survival rate. Hey, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, unless you're, you know, number 10. This is one-third. This is one, two, you're gone. One, two, you're gone. One third of everything. It is massive, but it's not everything. And this is just the first four trumpets that we find here in this passage. But there's more to see. So there's there's a little bit of a, um, if you will, almost an interlude that's about to take place before we get the next couple of trumpets that come into play. So we've got this plague of darkness. And then in verse 13, it says, Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Now, uh, throughout Scripture and throughout a lot of the ancient world references, eagles were seen as being symbolic of God. They were they were ones who carried messages from God. Um and, and so there's some imagery at work here in that regard for this. And even the, the, the word that the angel proclaims, it says, Then I looked and I heard a single eagle, or not angel, eagle, single eagle cry loudly as it flew through the air, terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. That, that word terror there, actually in Greek, and I'm not going to try butchering the Greek, okay? It's um, oai or something like that. Okay, I just tried butchering it. That word for terror that was used in the ancient Greek actually would have sounded a little bit like the cry of an eagle. So there's a little bit of wordplay going on there. But that repetition of that, that, that threefold, that terror, terror, terror announcement also would have been seen as a pronouncement from God. So suddenly you've got this image of this single eagle flying through, the eagle already being seen as a common messenger of God. And then what it cries out that sounds kind of like an eagle cry is the word terror pronounced three times, which is seen again, message from God. Divine messenger, 
bringing divine message. Not a good one, but a warning, a pronouncement of that judgment, a pronouncement of what would come when the last three trumpets are sounded. So we, we've got, again, God's judgment being poured out on the earth. We saw that back with the seven seals. Now we're seeing it with the seven trumpets and, and it's bad. It is God's judgment. But remember, as we began this chapter, there was that pause. And then that image of the angel taking the prayers of the saints, the prayers of believers, and they're mixed with the incense and fire on the altar. And they're lifted in the presence of God. It is in response to the prayers of the saints that we see the action of the trumpets and the judgment of God on the earth. The prayers of the saints for that day, that great day of the Lord, to get from here to there, the earth will be judged. We've seen that judgment in the form of, of Zechariah's four horsemen. Now we're seeing that judgment in the form of the plagues of Egypt. And we've got a couple more plagues to go. In fact, one of them takes us back where we were. Uh, so there's some interesting looping around there. But that pretty much rounds out, in fact, that does round out chapter 8. It's only 13 verses. But it is packed with imagery, and I encourage you, if you want to dig into the study, then, then go back and read the Exodus accounts of the plagues. Read the Exodus accounts of, of God liberating his people in response to their cries out to him. And be mindful that he didn't do it immediately. They were in Egypt suffering a long time before he brought his judgment on Egypt and liberated the people of Israel. God has chosen to, in our perspective, leave us in this world a long time before bringing his judgment. But it's coming. Be ready. And make the most of the time while there is time. Because we live in a lost and broken world that needs the message of the gospel. Let's share the message that can change eternity for all who respond. It's what we're called to do. As much as we long for that day of the Lord, let's not waste the day he has given us right now. And no matter what we go through, no matter what hardships we face, no matter what challenges there are, no matter if it costs us life and livelihood, Understand, God has won the victory through Christ. The Lamb who was slain now stands at the altar, at the throne. And He is worthy. He is where our salvation is found. And if we remember that, we've remembered the point of the book of Revelation. But here God has shown His authority over creation just in these four trumpet blasts. It's going to be exciting to see the rest 
of what he has to say as next week we pick up in chapter 9 and continue forward. Well, I thank you for joining us. Let's close in a word of prayer. And I look forward to next week and the next chapter. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving us your word, for giving us these words of encouragement, for hearing our prayers. But Father, most of all, for providing a way of salvation for us and to all who would turn to you. Lord, help us as we move forward from this point. Help us to live our lives in whatever context we are in, wherever we are, whatever we're facing, to live our lives with joy and faithfulness to you, knowing that you are victorious, knowing that you have heard our prayers and do hear our prayers, that we can place our faith, our trust, and our hope in you, and it is secure there. Father, I thank you for your word, that we can study it, that we can begin to to understand it and be encouraged by it as well as convicted by it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.